And then we start the podcast. That sounds, I mean, that's good. Yeah, that sounds good. Ladies and, Ladies and gentlemen, the amazing, the amazing Chloe. Chloe. I guess we're doing it right now. I don't know which one I liked more. Just layer them all on top of each other. <laughs> Do two more, and then we could just have some really good harmonies going on. Yeah. Harmony. That was the first note I took on the Cat of the Canals chapter. Ooh. Mm. Transition. It was a note that I took later, about three quarters of the way through the chapter, and I copied it and went and pasted it at the very top, so apparently it was important. Mm. Mm. Hi, everyone. This is Game of Bones. Thank you for joining us today, tonight. Whenever it is you're listening. Maybe you're on your way to work in a car. We've got a friend with us this evening. Her name is Chloe. Hi. Yay. Chloe is our great <laughs> friend from the Asawaf, or is it Asawaf? I've heard it two ways tonight, uh, community. It can go either way. Okay. I met Chloe during Dragon Con in Atlanta, Georgia, and was privileged enough to join the taping of Drunk Asawaf History, where Ashea from History of Westeros was your esteemed guest and that afternoon was pretty intense oh my gosh it was so fun if i remember you were our bartender if i remember i was bestowed the honor of tending bar <laughs> and you did it dang it you tended i did it and i think i think it worked if, if those of you listening if you've seen the early drunk history stuff on youtube and i know that it became a television series later but if you've seen those chloe's basically taken the idea and turned it toward the more interesting historical elements from the a song of ice and fire series where folks around the community friends of hers from different conventions and from like what we're doing right now podcasting and meeting each other online get really drunk and then talk about obscure bits of george r, r. martin's history that we don't quite understand it's such a great <laughs> idea it's such a great idea i try to explain it the best i could is that pretty no. much what you guys do yeah that's pretty much it we uh we've been kind of focusing in general we have a couple different series we've been doing uh there's a what you're thinking about series which is where i just invite random people on and we both like just prattle about whatever's been on our mind in game of thrones and song of ice and fire and just get drunk <laughs> it's basically we just get drunk basically I just said one day I'm really good at getting drunk and I'm really good at talking about A Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones, so why not just do that with people I like? Well, thanks for joining us tonight. We've got two pretty huge chapters to talk about, and judging by your history in the community, which we'll get to, you're like the perfect guest oh my to gosh. have on this evening. We're, Hannah and I were talking earlier how we're very intimidated, very, very yes. intimidated. Oh, no. But I'm mostly excited. <laughs> Grey mist has surrounded me most of this day, watching over me. <laughs> we have lots of questions. It's going to be good. I'm ready. I, I, I like got real relaxed this week, took some notes even, got into the chapters again for the first time in a while, and I am ready. I heard you chose a few owns. Oh, yeah. That's not so bad. Oh, yeah. I've got like four to five owns. This, these chapters are full of owns. Well, you'll full fit right them. in. Yes. Also, just at the top of the show, I feel like it's important to, to note that Chloe's Twitter username is Lies and Arbor, correct? Yes. But your the name, the display name <laughs> is Queen of Love and Booty. Uh-huh. It's literally <laughs> so mm-hmm. good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Every one of us wishes we thought of that themselves <laughs> and i've seen that you have a, a leona stark cosplay that you break out for that actual costume so that isn't just a username you actually follow through with the whole idea oh yeah yeah i do um i love costuming and that was fun to make plus every girl wants a blue flower crown come on what do you think about come these on. two chapters <laughs> oh man <laughs> such right. a weighted weighted question these two chapters are unbelievably good and 
that's the end of the podcast. Um, <laughs> both of these chapters are so good. This first Cat of the Canals chapter is so such like a, a day in the life and such a deep dive into what it's like to just be in Bravos, which I thought was really fun and really like atmospheric and and all that. And then this Bran chapter, which is the last Bran chapter that we have. Uh-huh. And Bran is, as we know, one of those super major important can't miss characters. And this is the last chapter that we have of his story to this point. And it is filled with an unbelievable amount of theories that we're going to barely scratch the surface. And I feel like us as readers just in general have barely scratched the surface as we've been reading and rereading this chapter over the last couple of years. And so, yeah, just lots of theories to dive into and, and like end game stuff that I feel like we're going to be able to talk about things that we just don't have answers to. And so two very different chapters in terms of, in my mind, like questions that they raise and not importance because this Arya Cat of the Canals chapter is brings up a lot of really important things, but I just really feel the weight of this brand chapter and um, I'm excited to get into it. It's looming over this conversation too. It's like, do we do the brand chapter first? I know. The second in the order, but there's so much here. I think it's such a good build. You got to do it cat first, then brand, because this is their like oh. Jedi <laughs> training montages. You got to build right? up. You know, this is this is what the Stark kids have been Jedi training in caves and in Bravos for. Yeah, I love how the two come together and the, the different ways that they both learn. I love that we get so much of Arya clearly learning from the people of Bravos. These these cues. We made a joke on Rewatch the Throne um, this past week where Hannah you said something about I had mentioned the Hound and Arya's road trip, and you're like a road trip. You know, the place for the girl is learning all of her lessons and it oh, was yeah. like it, it was <laughs> funny but that, joke. <laughs> it's it's happening more here she has so much stimulus and she spends most of her time at ragman's harbor where a certain class of individuals are and she learns the ropes there and she eventually moves and she's able to to hoist her wares oysters clams mm-hmm. and cockles in different parts of the city even the purple harbor and no one can just beat Arya stark i guess not Arya though I know what yeah. do we call her in this chapter. Cat. Cat with the cat. I'll do my best. And all of the, the wonderful bits of fish that she's mm-hmm. able to lure the cats through the alleyways with. This was such a beautiful chapter and ended in such a dark way. Well, I mean, and is no one going to say cat, fish? Totally. Like, it's <laughs> so <laughs> obvious. It's like, hi, George, we get it. I was You're making references. Well, her and Sansa both choose, they have mom names together. Cat Elaine. Cat Elaine. Catalan, <sighs> this is why we brought us? you on. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did you think about about these two chapters? Oh my well, god, I guess we they're just amazing! Talk specifically about the cat chapter. Yeah, I mean they're both so good. The brand chapter is not only like rich in the magic that you come to love and want from brand chapters; they're so gripping. But also, it has a ton of lore, a ton of history, just lightly laced in, and it has a really great passing of time as George kind of shows you, like through the moons and mm-hmm. just how long they've been in this cave. So it's a really rich chapter. Two different kinds of Jedi's. Very different kinds. Very different. Is that where you're headed? You think that one's headed toward the the dark and one's headed toward the light? I don't think so, especially since we know his dark. gray morality. They're both pretty dark. I mean, right. this, like, Arya's chapter is a very subtle dark because all of a sudden at the very end, you're like, oh, dang, that just It's happened. literally dark. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Ha! Ha! <laughs> Get it? <laughs> Chloe's also a stand-up comedian, so I'm going to be trying as many lines as I can tonight. <laughs> Which Sorry, one's guys. land? <laughs> yeah. You landed so, that one. Good job. Arya Stark killed 
John and Sam's brother? Um, I wouldn't call that his brother at this point because he forsaken his duties for yeah. the wall. Darian forsook her. I don't, what's the conjugative? No one knows. Forsook. Um, forsook does, yeah, it does not yeah, sound right. Forsooken? Forsa- yeah, anyways, he screwed up and didn't follow his vows. He was no real brother. I love how you don't quite understand whether or not she's actually done it near the end of this chapter. And I feel like there's this moments of confusion where she brings the boots back and you're like, okay, and then a little bit of time passes and it's like, oh, she actually kills him. And I feel like if you're not paying attention or if you're not like really thinking about it, you can almost miss it until the very end. But then when you kind of go back and realize what's happening, I just feel like it's a really interesting way to kind of reveal that she actually killed him because it's something that almost feels, I don't know, you're just not ready for it. Well, it's so interesting, too, because it's very linear in that Darian leaves the brothel and she sees him and he talks crap to her and she's like you talk to the wrong person i'm rougher and then you snap though and like she was just annoyed and then you snap right back to she's back at the temple and you again like hannah said you don't realize it um and it's interesting that it just flips like that you don't quite realize it and it says something to george r R. martin's writing style that he can take things off the page like that and you won't realize what actually happened Mm -hmm. you know and he could do that anywhere that right there tells you you don't know what's actually going on in these pages half the time as if we needed more like less confidence you know what i mean (laughs) yeah more mystery like yeah put in our place anymore i love the air of mystery over this chapter it's like we couldn't quite trust Arya because she wasn't fully into a character. She was sort of in this gray spot in between letting go of who she is and fulfilling the job that she has. Those nice attitude cuts where she's like, three new things. I've learned 30 new things. Oh, yeah. It's like we didn't quite lose Arya, but that moment with the boots, I, I went back. I was like, hold on a second. Did I miss something? Yeah. So it's like we're in this point of view chapter with her, but we're potentially getting less information than we were in that Melisandre chapter only a few episodes ago. Well, in the first few pages, what's really interesting is you started off and the very first few pages is just cat this, cat that, and she's cat. She's embodied this family life, which is also like Arya can't hide who she is. She's constantly that little girl searching for a family. So she joins Brusco's family and like goes from the morning with him and his family and goes and gets all the shellfish and comes back and then goes and sells it. But she just like kind of assimilates into this family, but literally about three, four pages in, you get her wolf dream and she dreams about being a wolf again. And it's the most obvious cut that tells you like, that's not, she's not fully assimilated. She's not Kat. She's Arya. She's Arya Stark. And it's so interesting to have, because she's so far physically away from everything that she knows. And she's so, I mean, we all have this image of her head, pushing her little cart through these docks, these ports and and meeting all these people and all these interesting people she's coming in con- contact with and the conversations she's having. And she mentions something about how she can pretty much get in anywhere. Mag- the oysters, clams and cockles are like magic words that'll take her wherever she needs to go. So, so cool. she's very much deep assimilated into this while also in the back of her mind, ha- keep having these, these wolf dreams. And, and as much as she, and this is a huge theme with Arya that we, we talk about quite often is that as much as she is trying to force herself into whatever current thing she's working towards and, and at this point with the house of black and white she can't shake who she really is and i feel like we kind of run into that 
not only with Arya and a little bit with Bran, but all the Stark kids. And so I just feel like particularly in this chapter, it's so starkly, starkly (laughs) contrasted (laughs) between where she is and where she is in her head because there's such even between like the house of black and white and the streets, like such wildly different places that are so beautifully built. Um, I really liked to kind of be jumping back and forth like that. It's really interesting, really interesting, like identity as a whole yeah. for the Starks. It was fun to find out more about Arya through the things that she's experienced and learning about the things that she likes within those experiences. Like she, she likes. I love that she became a really good tourist person. Like she, when when new people were arriving, she was and they spoke Westerosi. She was like, "Oh yeah, I got all the information for you. This is where you need to go if you want this done. The better prostitutes are over here." And she's recommending one of her friends who buys the right amount of her oysters, clams, and cockles. And she just got the run of the situation. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was just making friends with all of them. Yeah. Yeah. I find I think that's so interesting that of all of the inherent Arya's a tomboy and she's such like a little rowdy, you know, tomboy, yada yada. She likes to sword fight, that she goes over to this foreign place. And I mean George has said that we're going to see Arya go through puberty. I mean, she's eleven, she's about to flower, she's about to become a woman, and you're gonna see this happen, but she's just so Arya in these chapters and she's hanging out with the prostitutes at the brothel and she tells the guy oh you should go see Mary uh you should see Marilyn they call her Mary and in her head she says you know Mary wasn't the prettiest and her girls weren't either but she had the biggest heart and that's the most Arya Stark (laughs) thing I've ever heard (laughs) (laughs) she loves selling with selling wares and trade tongue with the insulting hand gestures oh yeah hanging out with these she's like i've never seen a camel before (laughs) yeah that's pretty funny my favorite favorite of all this was was the courtesans and and all the different things about them and and their different brands i guess the poetess and (laughs) they're so cool the the pirate queen all of that i just when she's talking about the one that like doesn't even like show up she won't like show a man unless she really likes him what she looks like under the veil i'm like yeah (laughs) 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 it's just so cool and how they're famed around the world but she's still kind of one of them buys all the oysters from aria anyway like i just that was my favorite in terms of the people that we get to meet because it just felt like there's so much there. They travel on their own. So everyone think of Bravos as kind of like a think of Bravos sort of like Florence, Italy with all the boats, but probably more. And I'd like to just imagine, since we're imagining this fictitious place, let's just imagine it really big and epic, like yeah. the artist renditions, you know, the illustrations of A Song of Ice and Fire. Oh, let's yeah. imagine it. it's like that. It's just huge and crazy and all that wonderful backstory that we learned in this chapter. The the fact that Bravos was was founded by, I, I guess, essentially the, the, the castaways, maybe the wrong kinds of people. And maybe those are the kinds of people that everyone listening likes to align themselves with. I don't know, but Arya seems to have a pretty good time there. And she's enjoying the place. She's learning about it. And she's saying stuff, and I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, the co- oh yeah, the courtesans. Oh yeah, <laughs> but but the courtesans have the best among everyone. They travel on these badass party barges through the city, and I'm seeing Bravos at night. Thinking back to Sam and walking in his cloak and carrying a sword, I'm thinking of it like it's like a city that feels like a con, or, 
something crazy like that where it's just like who knows what's going to happen when it opens up at night we got these courtesans on barges and they've got their own brands and this one likes to have all of her silks this way and she's the the tiger queen and like can i read the the two paragraphs because i think they're that good um okay this is the description of them all the courtesans of Bravos were famed across the world. Singers sang of them. Goldsmiths and jewelers show, showered them with gifts. Craftsmen begged for the honor of my thing, of their custom. Merchant princes paid royal ransoms to have them on their arms at balls and feasts and mummer shows. And Bravos slew each other in their names. As she pushed her barrel along the canals, Cat would sometimes catch a glimpse of them floating by on their way to an evening with some lover. Each courtesan had her own barge and servants to pull her to the trysts. The poetess always had a book to hand. The moon shadow wore only white and silver, and the Merlin queen was never seen without her mermaids. Four young maidens in the blush of their first flowering who held her train and did her hair. Each courtesan was more beautiful than the last. Even the veiled lady was beautiful, though only Me. those she took as lovers <laughs> ever saw her face. And then she starts talking about the, the pirate queen. And it says, um, Mary claimed the Black Pearl was the most famous courtesan of all. Black she, Pearl. She's <laughs> descended from the dragons, that one, the woman told Kat. The first Black Pearl was a pirate queen. A Westerosi prince took her for a lover and got a daughter from her who grew up to be a courtesan. Blah, 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 blah. Can you anyway. just read more? I love it. Just read more of it. <laughs> just well, read. what's best about that is that's Aegon the Unworthy. That's Aegon Four. So there's what? more That was all one it. of Aegon's mistresses. Jeez. Which is so cool. It's so, so cool. cool. Are these, do you think real people George R. R. Martin has given a nod to, like, really cool personalities well, in his life? one of them life? is Chloe. We already know about that. Yeah, oh, I'm right. the veiled lady. The veiled talked. lady. <laughs> Got it. I had a dream about George the other be. day, so I mean, I'm going to say it's canon. Like, I think he Can we talk it. about the dream? Because I don't know about the dream. I'd love to talk about the dream. Dude, I was at a hockey game in my dream, and I know it's a dream because I don't go to hockey games ever. So... Um, I'm at a hockey game. This That's is like a local. That's how fake. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, nice try. I would never leave the house. Not that uh, you're there with George R. Martin or anything. Yeah, if George was there, I would. He, it was like a local game, though. And he like, I went up to him and I talked to him about some of the essays I wrote. And he was like, I'm very impressed. And then he was, it was all about Shara Dane. Okay. So, <laughs> oh, we haven't so even unpacked that all, beast yet. <laughs> God, we'll get there. There isn't a Shara Dane mentioned in this chapter I want to talk about. A vague one. But George is all like telling me what her actual end game was. And I was really mad because like he straight up said that she was Septa Lamore. And I was like, you're wrong, George. And I'm going to leave. Whoa. Do you think it was like a Blood Raven vision? Dude, I freaking hope not. <laughs> was there gray mist in your dream? There was no gray mist. So it might have been real. <laughs> <laughs> really quick to everyone listening. I went and did some research on behalf of the world. I was reading the chapter. We've all seen the TV show. And we all like to pretend like we know stuff sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But I wondered what. The hell is a cockle. Okay. All right. <laughs> According to Webster, it's an edible burrowing bivalve mollusk with a strong ribbed shell. Hmm. Arya could sell them anywhere and she was the best. Don't forget it. She had the monopoly, honestly. Like she, like you guys said, she could get in anywhere and she like starts talking about how she was the best in Pearl Harbor and she was selling, or Pearl Harbor. Wow. <laughs> <The> <laughs> Pearl <best>. Harbor. <laughs> Well, how's that for a crossover? Um, she was the best in the Purple Harbor, and she could sell the, like all of the high like lords and stuff. That were, they're not lords. I forgot the exact term. I had it somewhere, but she's really like good. She like and she just like all day slings them to everybody, slings cockles and clams to everyone. And then she goes to night classes for like potions and apothecary. You know, she's killing it out there. She's like making great use of that free time. Yeah. So Arya is clearly very socially adept. 
what does that mean for her? And like, how does she apply these skills later? Well, what's because not all of her siblings are like this. Is well, you say that, but it's kind of interesting because at, she's in this big exposition dump. She's living in this place where she's learning, like you were saying, thirty things a day. She's just learning facts from the free cities, from outside of them, hearing things from sailors, and she's gaining all this knowledge. And at the same time, in the veil, Sansa is very subtly gaining all this political aptitude. So. It's like George is giving them just subtly, just like he does with the moon in Bran's chapter to signify time passing by. He kind of makes it so he's showing these girls are learning at a very accelerated rate, which I think is also making up for the fact that he cut having a five year gap in the story. Mm -hmm. Um, He has to scoot them along a little bit faster. So I think it's his way of saying, hey, they're gaining aptitude in these topics and their Jedi training is almost complete. Sansa is going to be political. Arya is going to be assassiny trained whatever we don't know do you think that this means that other kids who are experiencing the fallout of the war of the five kings and so on are also experiencing an accelerated growing and not just for example the ones that we're following in the story but it's just kind of like the whole realm is coming up around all this chaos at the same time yeah absolutely look at uh edric dane for example um he had his brief spot of time in storm of swords and in little bit at the very 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 end of clash's terms of where he was at least uh but he kind of didn't show back up after feast and dark star got introduced so you're looking at the role of edric dane which personally i think is going to be for you know lightbringer basically to come into play or dawn or maybe they're the same thing no one knows but i think he was going to be the vehicle to move dawn and now Dark Stars appeared, and we're probably going to get a Starfall chapter in the Winds of Winter, in my opinion, with Dark Star. And I'm sure Dawn's going to get stolen or moved. So that's Holy kind of crap. the transition <laughs> right there that we lose Edric Dane. That son of a bitch. <laughs> He's like, right. I deserve this sword. <laughs> I'm sure that'll go well for him, being of the night with the sword that's not of the night. Yeah, best of luck. This is why we can't have nice things. Good luck, boo boo. Love you, Dark Do you Star. know the the age range of the of the kids that we've met so far? Folks like Maya Stone and and reaching all the way to Fagon, like where if George has any kind of theme of development, because I think for a lot of people the show has kind of skewed a lot of those points of view because they look like they're in their late twenties. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're looking at around the age of like fifteen, sixteen. Our characters like Mira Reed, Rob before death, Rip, love you, John, uh, Marjorie. You know, you're looking at kind of there. Daenerys is, you know, 13, 14 at the end of Dance-ish, um, going on 15. Sansa is 13, claiming she's 14 because she feels older and cooler as a bastard girl. <laughs> we've all done it. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, we've all lied about she's our like age 14 at least a year. female King's Landing. <laughs> ASL. <laughs> ASL. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it ranges to younger. Like, Edric Storm is, what, 11 and Shireen's 9, I want to say, maybe, on, like, Brickon. Brickon is, like, God, in dance, he's probably five. So Bran would be nine, I want to say, by dance. Um, Arya's 11. Kind of all, they're all mixed across the range of like seven through 19. The Sand Snakes and Dorne are all older. They're all like 18 plus. Aryan is 23, I want to say. 24. It's wild to think about Bran being nine years old. And hooked into a tree. Yeah. Or My poor Jojen boy. Paste at nine. Yeah, so that three-eyed raven, not such a good guy, right? Uh, again, morally gray. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, no, not really good. Not good. Let's be honest. Well, it's like that place he's at is pretty crazy, man. There's just human skulls all over the place. Thousands. And there's just the cavernous roots that go so deep. And everyone's like, we're the magic people from this story. And we can do pretty much anything, but we don't even go down there, man. The we don't know abyss. what's down there. That's the where the Falmer live. It's the abyss. That's where George R. R. Martin's writing the book. Oh, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Fired. I don't even have that authority, but you're fired. I meant like, because he's the great other. That would be where he lives, oh, right? Mm-hmm, good. Mm-hmm. Nice save. Good save. Oh, I was serious. <laughs> I'm serious. Hannah and I are high-fiving through the internet. Yeah, we are. Sucker. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited when I saw that Theon sample chapter in your Reddit theory. I was oh, like, jeez, I don't want to read this. I do want to read this. I want to read it again. You haven't read the sample chapters yet? Not, not all of them, no. Um, just, you gotta. Just a little bit. Can't believe I, uh, you're saying I did that it out loud. real easy because I'm an addict. I didn't want to get too ahead of myself. I'm an you addict, know what I mean? so. I want to really badly, and every time I get a little taste of it, it's like, we should probably just read what's available. George put it out for a reason, right? I mean, yeah, we all read them. You're too. the only one. You've read them? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I didn't know that. Which one's your favorite one? My favorite is, um, I don't know, that may be for a different podcast. They're all good. That's the, the problem. The, the uh, Balticon one, though, is a fave just because oh, I was yeah. there. Galerian That's armor. a lot of people's faves. For a good reason. The cool thing is all of them are really lit. Like, and <laughs> not to, not to T-Wow theorize, like, this is totally not a, this is a meta theory that everyone's all complaining because it's taking so long, you know, which George doesn't owe anyone anything, so jot that down. Amen. But, you privileged people. But, uh, Honestly, those chapters are so good that if he's putting this much time into all of it, it's going to be real good. Because those chapters alone were like, knock you off your butt. Like, dang. All of them. There wasn't a single one of those that was boring to me. So if you're itching and you haven't read the sample chapters, they're so available on the internet in archives and you should find them. I'm going to read them. I know. <laughs> you're weak. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I we got a little off track. Do you want to tell us about... The Dane inclusion, this chapter? Oh, so it's a very light inclusion. Um, <laughs> most people might not notice right away, but there is, uh, before Arya goes all assassin pants on Darren and takes his boots and dumps him into the river, uh, which a really beautiful foreshadowing there was she's in the brothel listening to him and he's like singing and being an a-hole and she thinks the only black about him was his boots cat had heard him tell lana that he'd thrown all the rest in a canal and then she throws him in a canal which is Oof. really great uh <laughs> without the boots but as she's listening to him sitting there and he's playing his song and being totally the worst night's watch guy ever she thinks he's a man of the Night's Watch, she thought, as he's saying about some stupid lady throwing herself off some stupid tower because her stupid prince was dead. The lady should go kill the ones who killed her prince, and the singer should be on the wall. And it's a very subtle Ashara Dane jumping out of the Pale Stone sword tower reference. So what does that mean for Arya? I mean... It's honestly, it's really uh, interesting because Arya is very, the first three books, Arya has this kind of moral code being raised, especially by Ned Stark and being honorable. She has this whole, either you're a good person or you're not. She has a very, wait for it, black and white mentality <laughs> about things like the house of black and white mentality of what's good or bad. And she literally goes through life like, well, you should do this. Like, if you don't, 
if you didn't save my mom, you're a bad person, Sandor Clegane. You know, like she has these thoughts of what makes people good and bad. And she shows up at the House of Black and White and it's like she gets to grapple with these kind of things like, oh, it's always so easy. She should have the lady should have just killed the people who killed her prince. The singer should be on the wall. And I think it's a big learning curve for Arya that that's not how things work in life. And she's learning that now as an 11 year old. She's learning, OK, you know, I've been on the road the last two years and it sucked. And it turns out people aren't always good. And that sucks. Yeah, it's a tough lesson to learn. Do you think the waif knew what she did? Ahead of time. I feel like, yes. I feel like they seem to have eyes everywhere, you know? They had this strange animosity toward her when she arrived, too. It was like, well, just wait till the kindly man comes and calls you out for what you did. Yeah. Don't you kind of feel like they slap her on the wrist a little bit, but don't really punish her? Well, she, like, admits to it very matter-of-factly, almost. Right. Like, she doesn't really hide it. She knows they know. I mean, she already knows. She just feels it. And... They know this whole time. They keep saying, you know, oh, you're not no one. You're Arya Stark. Arya Stark bites her lip. Arya Stark does this. Like, you're obviously not one of us. And then they slap her on the wrist when she admits it. I mean, going blind is not that big of a punishment. And it helped her. And it helped exactly. her awaken her inner eye more. So that's the thing. It's like it's almost you almost see it as a promotion. I mean, mm-hmm. when you look at like the bigger picture of, of her journey and what she's doing, it's not as much of a punishment as I mean, it feels so dramatic when you read it. It's like when she woke the next morning, she was blind and that feels very dramatic. And it's a very difficult thing that she goes through, but she was going to have to do it anyway. And it's almost a progression on her journey to whatever instead of them kicking her out. You know what I mean? Because they, right, they know who she is. Just being on the streets. like. Mm-hmm. So do you think that, that she impressed them when she made the kill that she was capable of doing so much more and they're like oh we found one i don't know it's interesting because i feel like that kill is one of those moments at least for me when we really realize that she's never going to be no one that she's always going to have those urges to protect and do what's right i guess or you know yeah i'm tripping over all my words but a moment <laughs> for them when when they realize that she also isn't ever going to really become no one but they don't really care you know what I mean? Or, you know what I'm trying to say? Or like, do they have like a hidden agenda? So what yeah. if? I mean, like, are they going to use her animosity towards Darren, for example? I mean, obviously, she was going to be pissed about meeting someone who wasn't doing his duty on the wall, especially when she heard that her brother, her older brother, mm-hmm. sent him, and he's defying her family. So are they going to use her familial bonds like that and her animosity to make her go kill someone they need killed or something? Which is weird because the faceless men cannot kill anyone they have met or seen before is their rule. So if she's not technically a faceless man, but they send her on an assassin journey maybe or something. It's interesting. Mm. It's an interesting relationship. Do you think it's going to look anything like the show shook out? Or do you think there's going to be more complication and more stuff happening here in Bravos with the House of Black and White? I think that the House of Black and White may be a little more expanded than what we saw, obviously, because the show is an adaptation. We have to collapse those plots so that we can barrel towards the end. Uh, But I think we'll see more from the House of Black and White. I think it'll pan out just a little more detailed in The Winds of Winter. But I do think she's going to head home. Uh, I think she's probably going to make a stop in the Riverlands on the way. Um, I'm a firm believer that, especially because Arya, you know, she has learned a lot about what mercy giving mercy means and how her plot i mean even reading these chapters there are so many references to her mom 
and so many water references and fish yeah. references that her plot is just circulating. I think she's going to be the one to have to put her mom down. Um, I think she will have to show her mom the gift of mercy, wow. show Mother Merciless mercy in the end. And I, th- I think that's going to be a big thing for her, for her plot. And then she can go home. Um, but I don't know what's going to happen endgame for her. I always am between sticking too hard on the quote that you'll be sewing all through winter, needle frozen in your hand from a Game of Thrones about her. Um, I think that quote is super foreshadowy, but also wow. like George's wife would murder him because that's her favorite. And Arya is one of his favorites, too. So the other endgame I really wish for is that like Gendry and her, when they're older, finally get together and rule from old stones where Christopher uh the fourth or fifth ruled with his hammer. <laughs> I would like that because yeah, Gendry that should rule with his hammer. Yeah. And they should just be married and in love forever. And you know <laughs> this, it's fine. No big deal. So what kind of poster do you have hanging up behind you right now? <laughs> My house Dane <laughs> poster? Is that what you're asking about? Is that maybe I have a uh beautiful homemade poster board that has a timeline of the quote-unquote deaths and births of the current through like rebellion through current uh house dane members i wish i was as cool as you same we <laughs> have mean, our dane special <laughs> bring the poster with you yeah absolutely i will i will it all started because one day someone on twitter was trying to tell me that the eldest dane father didn't exist and that like edric <laughs> dane was ashara dane's kid and i was like Ugh. you're wrong and you find the wrong are. place <laughs> yeah, exactly. i know what a cockle is <laughs> I, I like. I'm not mad. I just want to talk about it. So here's a poster board. I'm not mad. You I'm just disappointed. <laughs> I literally drove to Walgreens and bought poster board like for that reason. I love. I got that. markers. I'm dedicated. And today's show is sponsored by RX Bar. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar made with a few simple, clean ingredients, which all serve a purpose: egg whites for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture. And in the interest of full transparency, all of the core ingredients are labeled right on the front of the package. No BS. They're perfect for breakfast on the go, a snack at the office to throw in your bag for a bike ride. They're perfect for a hike, traveling, pretty much anything. And better yet, being beyond a go-to snack that checks off a number of nutritional boxes, RX bars actually taste delicious. With 11 delicious flavor varieties, all of which are gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, and free of any added sugar... Artificial colors or flavors, preservatives or fillers, you can actually taste the cacao, the real fruit, and the spices like sea salts. So whether you like sweet or savory, chocolate or fruit flavors, there's an RX bar for you. And I feel like everyone listening has definitely seen these. At the checkout aisle. Right. I've been seeing them (laughs) in airports. I've been seeing them in gas stations during cross-country drives. And I'm just happy to see this product that we talked about a couple months ago on the show start catching on like it has and i think it kind of speaks for itself we've we've been sent these bars we've tried them ourselves, and, and if you're looking for actual nutrition from a snack which i think is probably the purpose of most snacks or at least they should be that this is just a no-brainer what's your favorite one 100 chocolate sea salt mine's blueberry so for 25 percent off your first order you can visit rxbar.com slash owns and enter promo code owns at checkout. That's rxbar.com slash owns promo code OWNS for 25% off your first order.
So are we ready to dive into the abyss? Oh my God, I'm so yes. excited to dive into the abyss. So the abyss, the final brand chapter in Dance of Dragons, which is the final published book that we have of A Song of Ice and Fire. I know it sounds pretty crazy, everybody, that we're so far into Game of Thrones and the end game is looming. We might have this year off from the season, but everyone kind of feels like, oh yeah, it's toward the end of the story. But there are two books left and these books are massive and this is the last Bran Stark chapter we have. And it ends in just, I know that we've seen more of his story from the TV series, but after reading this in more detail, and maybe after this conversation, you guys might feel the same, but I don't, I just don't know if that's the end of things for Bran Stark, the way that we've seen it adapted. I think, no. I don't know if it, well, it has anything to do with it. I, I just don't know. I really feel like the Starklings that are alive are going to get to regroup at Winterfell. I don't think Bran's fate lies inside of a weirwood tree right now. Maybe in the future, maybe he does have to return to the tree, but I think Bran will go home. Um, there's no way that the Alive Starks won't convene. I think we've seen such a downfall for our heroes, because you're introduced to the Starks when you start these books, and you feel this familial loyalty, this bond, this Stark bannerman, like, the North remembers. It, it, nothing like the King in the North, like, hearing that chanted, like, you can't tell me that didn't make you tear up and have a sense of, like, wolf every pride. Time. Every time. And yeah. I feel like we've been losing for so long. Our team has been losing. Uh, you know, the Red Wedding was the biggest, just cutting, horrible event. And it's finally time. All these arcs are converging. Arya is learning to be smart and assassiny or whatever and sneaky and fighting. And Sansa is learning politics and she's going to learn to outmaneuver and she's going to get to go home eventually. Um, John's kind of dead, but you know, I mean, that's. Whatever. That's John. Yeah, we'll, we'll do with that. It out. Great hair. Exactly. Great hair. So he'll be fine. And Bran is in a tree, but he's like learning his Jedi mind trickery. And it's like, it's finally looking good for our team. Right. You know, finally. Well, and Bran doesn't even want to be here. No. You know, we, and there's so many moments in this chapter where he thinks about how this isn't really what he thought this was going to be. And this isn't really, he, he says something about, you know, I was going to be a knight and <laughs> he's afraid of this future that is just him in this tree by himself. And so I like the idea that he won't just be here forever and that he'll use whatever he's learning or figuring out or being taught and manipulated to do or whatever, depending on what you think, um, that he'll then take that and still has that, as we're talking about with Arya, that starkness inside of him that's going to drive him to want to be with his family. So I'm totally on board with that as well what do you think the last two books how do you think it will pan out timing wise like do you guys think it will take place over like one year each book two years each book like how do you think by the very end of the book when all the action ceases barring nay a epilogue of sorts how much time do you think is going to pass i think that the first book is going to be half the characters and the second book is going to be the other half. <laughs> oh, no. Stop. <laughs> You're cruel. Just kidding. I don't think that. We already had that happen once and it hurt very badly. Don't yeah. hurt me like this. <laughs> so badly we tried to fix it. Just kidding. How long did, yeah, how long did, uh, is the pa the time passing between Feast and Dance, do you know? It's supposed to be around similar chronologically, only a few months depending on the chapter because... It was the one book torn apart, so... Right. Do you know how long, like, maybe it's a year? Yeah, I'd say, like, a year, we year We should and a know, half but because, the seasons are weird. Well, so the first two books, I mean, Sansa turns... She's 11 in Agat and 12 in Clash. 
And so then starting Storm, I think she's just turning 13 near the end of Storm-ish, somewhere around there. And then she's 13 in Feast. So she's probably going to be 15 when we start Winds of Winter, I would gather. Maybe it'll be a year or two apiece, unless things kind of slow down toward the ends of Winds, because with Winter, there's some slowing of time. Maybe it'll yeah. maybe there'll be like a long period of darkness, and maybe at the very end, we'll touch back, and it'll be like, here's the final hope. This is what passed. Maybe it'll be in the epilogue, there'll have been a lot of time passed, and then by Dream of Spring, they'll, have, they'll be even older and they'll bring a lot of those things that they learned in the dark winter to to fight things in the final book maybe well and why i ask that is because i mean bran is in this cave and as i kind of said earlier time is passing we see they talk about the moon yeah and like how long he's been there and we don't always see it that way exactly so it's like a very subtle george is moving us along and i do feel like he's trying to move as fast as he can to get us older he needs these characters older so if bran is what nine now nine ten now like by the end of the series, what's he going to be? 15, 16? Mm-hmm. Most. So that kind of makes me wonder as a 16 year old man, is he going to choose to just go into the tree forever? Or is he going to do something else to like make the war stop? I don't know. Like, what's he going to do? No one knows. Do you think the tree will be attacked like it was in the show? I think something has to take them out of the cave because, I mean, you hear how. They can't penetrate it. They talk in this chapter about how, like, oh, they can't penetrate it, but they're, like, outside the cave, like, in areas, in little gatherings outside the cave in certain areas. So I think it's being set up to happen, for sure. There was a lot of that in this chapter when Bran was, was, well, really when it was being set up, just the the amount of dead within the tree, but also without the tree and the animation Mm -hmm. that it had and... The fact that the ward uh, among the tree was the only thing separating them, there's a lot There's a lot to pull from there sort of thematically. Well, even like interesting that we literally get to see what the weirwood net is consisted of. He yeah. sees the children of the forest. He, I mean, they say there's three or so score of them. So more than 60 children of the forest left, but they're all in this cave and that he goes by this room and there's just a mass of them in trees. Duh, they're creepy yeah. as hell too. Yeah, in this so book. creepy. Old and like they only like barely one of them looked at him kind of. He thought they were just dead. So they're just these fossilized little deer persons. <laughs> so are they in charge? Are they pulling the strings behind Brendan, Bloodraven, do you think? I don't think fully behind Bloodraven. There's a lot of really interesting um, Joe Magician from Reddit and Twitter had this really cool theory a couple of weeks ago that he put out about Weirwoods. He worked really hard on it and he had just some really interesting ideas and theories about what the Weirwoods are and that like basically the old gods were inside the trees um, and that, you know, souls lived inside the trees and these trees operate off blood and souls. So it's kind of at the same time, the children are giving themselves to the trees. So I think they're following an agenda. And I think Brendan is following some sort of agenda of visions he's seen. So they're all sort of tapping from the same raw source, but they're doing it in different ways. And maybe the children are more adept because they've been around longer. Yeah, I think so. I think Do you so. think that they activated the trees actually by carving the faces? Or that's just kind of a folklore telling of how the technology works? I think that's kind of a folklore, and I think it dials deeper than that even. The roots go deeper, if right. I may. <laughs> yes. Finger guns. Um, but I think, like, also, because, I mean, how do you grow a tree? This is a big one. I was just talking to Joe Magician about this, uh, and he was kind of saying, you know, there's no seeds or anything in any of the published A Song of Ice and Fire pieces in the world of Ice and Fire, anything. There's nothing about seeds, nothing about how to grow uh, a tree. 
Um, and later on, I'm sure we'll get to Bran's visions. He sees some blood sacrificing, and there's a lot of blood sacrificing outlining in this chapter, uh, obviously. So much. Yeah, many think this is the Jojen paste, but how do you grow a tree? I mean, the roots won't work well enough because they're spread out so far. And trees like that are usually in huge forests, and they end up just choking out all other species. Jojen paste, though? Can we talk about that? Yeah. How does everyone feel? Jojen paste. Should we do I would like outline? to explain that. Yeah, with everyone listening at home, it's a pretty crazy theory. It's nuts. Uh, I mean, it starts off that Jojen, especially in this chapter, is weaker, and Mira is trying to nurse him, and Bran notes Jojen's weaker. And then later on in the chapter, Jojen isn't even present, and the children of the forest and Bloodraven feed him this paste made of weirwood saplings, and it has little bloody looking veins in it and Bran thought it looked like blood and smelled like blood and he tasted it and at first it was kind of like bad and then it became like better as he like drank it and it's supposed to help his abilities um and this chapter is so outlined about like blood magic and we know blood magic is real I mean look at Daenerys in A Game of Thrones uh with Miri Mazdur and with Cal Drogo so we know blood magic is a thing in Melisandre right shadow babies yeah shadow babies they're real and Bran eats this paste and people think Jojen is being cannibalized. Uh, the the children of the forest, the singers, the blood and blood Raven, they're like making him feel better and distracting him. They make him his own weirwood throne in that scene and they place him on it. Kind of weird. Like, so crazy. Sacrifice-y. Like I'm just seeing it now and I'm like, this is like some weird sacrifice. Like you're getting like carried and chanting is happening around you. And uh, yeah. yeah, by these people, the children of the forest, not the, the, the kind of, that we've been yeah. fantasizing about, but you know, like when you go to Oz and it might not be as beautiful as you thought, like when they turn to the left, they look a little creepier in that light. Ugh. Old Nan's stories are all coming to life. You know, like I all these that. stories yeah. they made fun of, she's coming, her stories are happening to Bran. All the stories he grew up on are real. Where songs about knights and chivalry, as Sansa learns, aren't real. Bran learns all the songs about snarks and grumpkins and, you know, they're real. He even mentioned something about, uh, earlier on wishing that rob could be there to see yeah that he could see him fly because he didn't believe in any of those stories and and now he can do it and um you know he or you know all these dreams he's having he wishes that rob could rob could be there i thought that that was kind of a cool callback to the way they were all raised absolutely do you think that part of brand's mission when and if he ever breaks out of this depending on which direction he goes let's say he takes their agenda and I guess it wouldn't matter even if he didn't. Do you think part of it will be telling his siblings about all of these truths that he's learned about the world, just how deep the roots really go? Absolutely. Um, I do feel, not to like compare, but I mean, the show does kind of cover in a shorter span how Bran's emotions are. And I yeah. think he will be changed when he comes back. I mean, he's starting off. He's so sweet in this chapter. Can we just talk about what a sweetie he really Bran Stark is. is? He is. He really he is. He is the purest boy. He's so sweet. He's Except always when it comes to Hodor, Mira. just yeah. a little bit, yeah. though. That's uh, the thing. It's like Bran is not always my favorite, and a lot of what he does and thinks really drives me crazy. But he did have so many sweet moments when he's he's like asking Mira and Jojen if they want to become greens, like if they can do this too, and they can all do it yeah. together. And and he he, what is he supposed to do when they're not here anymore? And and he just has a lot of really kind kid-like thoughts while he's going through these very intense situations that remind you that he's as we're saying a a nine-year-old boy and it's really sad because 
especially when the very beginning of the chapter, there's this line about the last green seer. Like Bran is the last green seer. He's it on this planet. That's what Blood Raven tells him. And that's like, he's the last hope against hope for these dying children of the forest and for Blood Raven and against the others in their eyes. And he, uh, he's just so sweet to Mira and he doesn't get these. This is a bigger journey than him. This is the hero's journey. This is the last hero. It really is just like the last hero. Like that quote we get about the last hero that one by one, his friends died. His dog died. His horse died. His sword broke in the cold. You know, um, this is the last hero come again in Bran. And he probably just ate his friend. Yep. And he doesn't even know. And he mm. doesn't even know. And So <sighs> are you buying the psychedelic properties of Jojen's blood? Oh, because he's absolutely. A green I think yes. I mean, and at the end, they in the visions, I mean, these crazy ass visions come to him. These like huge weirwood Way trip. crazier than before. Yeah. Way crazier. His, and they say, oh, you're going to be more powerful now. You're going to be way more... And they show blood sacrifice in the visions. They show that people are sacrificing. The sickle and the woman and holding him under the tree. Oh, geez. That's the thing is, as Chloe, you were saying, there's just such a precedence for this kind of thing already. And every way that Jojen acts in this chapter, and I would... You know, we, we've known that he knows that he's mm-hmm. not going to make it. He knows when he's going to die. And so I think that there's some discussion about whether or not he understands that this is it. And so that's why he's being all moody because he doesn't want to tell everybody that he knows that this is actually the time instead of, you know, when he's back home or whatever else. Um, yeah. And it's just this really – it's really interesting to see Jojen in this chapter and this dark, vast – timeless but we know that time is passing space and i feel really bad for him because i think that you look at him as a character and kind of what he wanted to accomplish and him bringing bran and teaching him so many things and and all this kind of stuff to then have him just kind of disappear at the end and and you kind of feel for him because he if he if if what we think happened does actually happen um, I feel like that that's kind of a, a difficult end to this burden that he's been carrying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, there's that line that uh, Mira and Jojen like are arguing over uh, in front of Bran and Bran's like saying, you know, I'm scared or whatever. And Mira's like, no need to be scared. You know, you, I know you're scared. And Jojen says he's not the one who needs to be afraid. Yeah. He was afraid because the children of the forest are going to come collect him when Bran's asleep and juice him. Into a bowl. Yeah, and he knows. <laughs> yeah. So. And it's something Bran wouldn't just understand. And he knows that this is the way it has to happen. It's a fixed point in his timeline. It's going to happen. And it has to for the last hero to get where he needs to go. And then Bran, that that lesson ends. And then he's taken back to his bed. And he kind of is trying really hard to stay awake because he can't wait to tell Mir and Jojen <laughs> what just happened. And then, as we said, he drifts into these very intense visions. And so... It's 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 heartbreaking and it's very I just really, you know, you look at how much is in this chapter in terms of endgame questions and theories and kind of what happens next. And it's just written so beautifully into this very atmospheric passage of the moon. And you just feel this weight of you can almost feel like how cold and damp it is down there and mm-hmm. getting lost in this timeless it's described as the caves the cave the caves are vast, timeless, and silent or something. I think I butchered that. But I just no, feel like yeah, you, you feel that that pressingness 
as he's kind of drifting in and out of consciousness or not. And I just and he says so he dreams and sleeps, dreams and sleeps. He couldn't put together when he was real life and when he was dreaming anymore. When he was and he tells himself he has to wake up or he'll die, basically yep. somewhere in the middle. So it's very he went from creepy. wolf dreams to dreams to visions to alive all of a sudden again and it's such a crazy discombobulated feeling and warging in and out of hodor yep let us not forget so just so he can go with the rest of them it's his first escape bran has been trapped in his body since jamie pushed him out of that window and it's his first time that he is out he's flying he's in the birds in the burbs he's you know (laughs) burbs (laughs) i hate that so much which part when he says he's thinking to hodor i'm trying to find the um what i oh, what i highlight he's hiding. like i just want to be strong again for a while i'll get me back the way i always do the big stable boy no longer fought him as he had the first time back in the lake tower during the storm like a dog who has had all the fight whipped out of him hodor would curl up and hide whenever bran reached out for him and he doesn't know what he's doing he has to know what he's doing okay so he knows a little bit what he's doing he knows <laughs> enough <laughs> He knows he enough. Know he chooses not to think about it. He's just not thinking about it. And Same. he's going to have to think about what happened here with Jojen. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to really think about the people he's hanging out with, too. It's not like, I mean, I realized the road there was so bad, the struggle to get there. So it's a relief to be in some kind of place that is protecting from the elements that we put ourselves in in the first place. But he's there now. And if Jojen's not there tomorrow, right. you know, what now? Right. Well, and we've been talking and we always talk about good or bad or black and white or is brand down a quote-unquote good path is Arya going down a good path is the blood raven good or bad and you know i as we always say nothing in the story can be characterized as black or white or good or bad it's all very gray but i just feel like there's a lot and brand as we kind of talked about in season seven and as we're at this point with him in the story he could very easily slip and fall one way or the other you know and if he doesn't wield what he learns and this power that he's gaining and starting to understand then it could be not the best sansa sums that up in one of her chapters in i want to say the beginning in uh either the first feast chapter for sansa or second um it, i think it's sansa one but she says you know i never asked to play the game of thrones one false move one slip and i'm dead And it really resonates for all of the kids if they even one bad move. And I mean, these are kids that haven't had real parental figures in their lives for a couple years now, you know, and they're in some of the most formative years of their lives with no parents, no real parent figure, you know, just trying to survive, you know, prisoners of war, uh, you know, out in the road doing whatever they can to eat and survive in a weirwood, going through the tundra in a weirwood, like mm-hmm. hanging out with Sandor Clegane. <sighs> Sounds really Think bad. Think of the language he uses. <laughs> it's a rough time. He's probably really smelly. I'm going to be honest, like now that I'm thinking about Everyone it. Everyone smells oh, in this book I know. series. He probably smells a lot. He's probably like super manly. Yikes. I bet yeah. Dark Star smells beautiful. Yeah, like perfumed. You know he does. Gerald, Gerald, like, whatever. Blood oranges <laughs> and like vanilla and just saffron. Disdain in your voice, Gerald. <laughs> Gerald. <laughs> Okay, so I think it really depends what we're talking about. I mean, I I, I don't know. I th- maybe it depends on which direction of the gray that Blood Raven is leaning toward the most, right? Well, Liz, he said, "Darkness will be your cloak, your shield, your mother's milk. Darkness will make you strong." Oof. 
I say starkness over darkness. <laughs> right? That's a t-shirt. But so what way do you think anyone is leaning? Well, and that's the other thing is look at Blood Raven's past. He seems to be very remorseful of yeah. the things he's done, especially during like the Black Fires and during, I mean, all of it. Uh, he has that quote, you know, when Bran first gets that first vision after he eats supercharged Jojen paste. And he's like... Oh, I just saw my dad. Can I talk to him? And Blood Raven's like, <laughs> he's like, you're gonna see a lot of stuff, but <laughs> <laughs> like, buckle up, sunshine. Um... Yeah, he's like, I live here. Look at me. I'm, this shit's crazy. <laughs> Look at me. I'm the tree now. I'm the tree. They're, it's growing into me. <laughs> here, just eat this. You'll be fine. You'll be fine, kid. Eat this. Every time that's been said to me, I feel like that's a bad plan. Don't eat it. But you eat it anyway. You know. <laughs> I don't. What are you doing? <laughs> Blood Raven tells no Bran says you can't speak to him try as you might i know i have my own ghosts bran a brother i loved a brother i hated a woman i desired through the trees i still see them but no word of mine has ever reached them the past remains the past we can't learn from it but we can change it well can we at this point for those of you who haven't heard or read chloe your what you've written about blood raven and kind of what he how he's been manipulating and how we can maybe see where he is or isn't manipulating the situation. Because for those of you who, which is none of you, I'm sure don't (laughs) quite understand the power that he wields over all of this. Can you give us a summary or an an overview of kind of what theories you've pulled together? Cause it's very interesting. Yeah. Is the official title, the gray mist theory? Um, I don't know, I guess. Cause that needs to be a t-shirt too. I, I mean, I guess I named it like a thousand eyes and one gray mist or something. But uh, my favorite part of this theory was I had a title just sectioned. I see a gray mist rising, which mm. you can't <laughs> not break out into credence when you hear that. You know, I mean, perfect. <laughs> we'll have to tweet it out or something so people can find it. Absolutely. So Blood Raven was, you know, he's a legitimized great bastard of uh, Aegon the Unworthy, which funny because we just talked about him in Arya's chapter. Um, hmm. One of his mistresses was uh, the Black Pearl, pirate, uh, pirate lady, and <laughs> swashbuckling beautiful lady. But he is a legitimized bastard of Aegon the Fourth and Missy Blackwood, which is interesting when you think about that because the Blackwoods and Brackens and their feud and the uh, the big beautiful weirwood tree that they have. But so he was a Targaryen loyalist during the Blackfire Rebellions, uh, the hand of Aerys One and Maker One. Uh, he was in love with his sister. He hated his brother Bittersteel because Bittersteel was also in love with his sister. And he basically supported Darien Two during because he was the rightful lord during the Blackfire Rebellions instead of Daemon. And so he's just this really interesting character that he was born in 175 AC and we're at like 300 AC in this book. You know, he's old. He's old, 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 and he's fossilized into this tree. And during the books, if you pay attention, uh, and this happens during like Melisandre's chapters with blood magic and with uh, with when Rattleshirt, uh, when she has Mance cloaked as Rattleshirt through the bones, through the glamour, um, you'll notice there's gray mist that appears through the books. Uh, Ned, when he has his fever dream about the Tower of Joy, and it's gray wraiths draped in gray mists and everything. On gray um, horses. Yeah. Anytime you see gray mist, it's usually Bran or Blood Raven taking a peek. Think about that, everyone. Just so for a second. Yeah. Uh, she just think quoted about... something from book one. <laughs> <laughs> He's been around. I look at dreams. My I mean, gosh. it's not 100% confirmed always, but even Cersei has weird dreams That's what's at one been point. Interesting. 
yeah, that was the piece that was so interesting to me because, like you said, is it 100% confirmed with every situation? I don't think anyone would say that. But no. to have the gray mist with Cersei is just very, very interesting to me. Like, he can see. He has eyes all over the realm. And anywhere that there's a weirwood, another thing is anytime you have a scene where there's a weirwood, you should expect that Blood Raven and Bran are probably able to see that. And that is now available in the weirwood net. Like, NSA style, it's watching them, you know? <laughs> They can watch anywhere. Um, in the Theon chapter, the chapter where uh, Jane and Ramsay get married, Fagaria and Ramsay get married, uh, when Theon goes to the godswood, he hears something coming from the tree and there's drapes, just mist, just draped around the tree. It's gray. Yep, gray mist. It's so interesting. And like you said in this article on Reddit that we'll link everyone in the show notes, there's mist that happens throughout the series. You're not specifically going out and, and saying, oh, mist, so this must be it. You're actually going deeper and looking for the the description of Grey being involved, and you're finding a pattern within that. Yeah. Um, even in Blood Raven's first real entrance uh, in the Mystery Night in the Duncan Edge, Duncan Edge, Edge, <laughs> Edgy, the Duncan Egg novellas uh, in the Mystery Night, they say a Grey mist came down on white walls and then there's blood raven the next scene mm -hmm. and uh it's so interesting that when you just pay attention to those little details uh you start seeing that so is this them peeking in on the situation for reference or them manipulating the situation for that's their the own cause Good question um and that's like i feel like it could be i think fever dreams are something that can be manipulated more mm -hmm. um but live action moments so like ned having that fever dream it wouldn't surprise me if blood raven was part of the machinations of that and he kind of fed that dream to ned right uh, especially someone like ned who is so connected to the weirwood who prayed at the weirwood uh we see in this chapter this brand chapter ned praying to the weirwood that's something that's he's very wholly religious with the old gods so i wouldn't say they're messing with things in real life when there's gray mist as much uh, but there are certain magics, like I said with Melisandre, that you notice there's gray mist there. Um, so I just wonder if there's a connection with that magic. There has to be more connection deeper, but gray mist appears when they utilize weirwood power. I think so. What do you think the connection is? I think it's just what appears when certain mystical things are used. Like, so Melisandre uses a glamour and she has to use bones to do that. She uses the rattle shirt bones to create that glamour and to cover Mance. Um, and when they utilize the weirwoods and they go and look at stuff, they usually are using blood magic. I mean, the tree is pumping through blood raven. It's almost like a parasite. You know, it's pumping through the children of the forest. Ah, uh, yes. The trees are a parasite. They right. grow and they exist off of blood. That's, That's how they the stay powerful. Right. Yeah. No matter what, who is wielding the power, whether it's someone like Melisandre or blood raven or whoever else is using blood, that's like the thing that it all kind of comes back to. Blood magic. Where do you believe Euron Greyjoy falls in line here? I was looking at the map today trying to come up with a cool nickname. <laughs> and I was looking at the way, I was like, well, you don't have to go through the Jade Gates. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to go yeah. through the Jade Gates to, to head toward Ulthos. There's a way past that. You can go toward the Green Hell if you're feeling froggy. Maybe that's the way Euron Greyjoy went. Maybe he met some important people and maybe he learned some important things. But we're talking about a guy that is living in the Weirwood Tree and he's getting leached into it. And I don't know what you think about the possibility of there being a connection with those people. I don't really know what I'm getting at. I'm just kind of wondering no, there definitely how much is. Um, you think so? Yeah, uh, there's a very popular theory 
that has kind of come up and if you've uh you know euron has that speech i want to say it's in dance where he says it's definitely in dance i'm pretty sure uh it might be in feast i like to read them together so who knows I think it's in the reaver if it's the yeah, one i, I think, think it's reaver but he says when i was a kid uh, I dreamt I could fly and right. then I woke up and I couldn't. And a lot of people do theorize, and I subscribe to it, that Bloodraven tried to choose him uh, as a green seer, but they put him back on the shelf right away. They're like, nah, this guy crazy. Wow. And it opened his eye, but he couldn't fully utilize that power like Brand gets to. He didn't get the training. So kind of like Kylo Ren style, you know, like he went bad instead because the force drove him crazy and <laughs> he didn't get to train in a cave with jedis do you think that he went kind of in the opposite direction almost even by the seasons and went toward this lush southern equator area of westeros i mean of planetos that we don't really understand and maybe he went through his own sort of jedi training yeah he's i like think he representing took his own that. trip he took you know a year off after college and <laughs> sailed to and explored himself <laughs> so he found some like craziest shy psychedelics he wasn't sucking on that jojen paste no well and that's the thing is so think of it that way he drinks shade of the evening which everyone is like, whoa, that's crazy LSD crap in these kingdoms, you guys. That is some LSD. Like, that opens your mind. The government doesn't... Westeros' government doesn't want you to do Shade of the Evening. But he right. goes and does this drug, and that keeps his mind open. So it's almost like he's doing that to connect into this mystical force that we have of, like, Melisandre and her shadow binding. Because he saw some, and he's like, I want more now. Yes, absolutely. He had that taste of the green seer life. And it's interesting because we get a little bit in that and Bran as he's falling and in, in whatever either the first time he does that he sees other people like on the ground when he's been told to fly like people who didn't make it and I don't know mm-hmm. if, if um whatever his name is that I forgot. <laughs> um it could be a lot on. of people right now. <laughs> oh there we go. <laughs> it took me through. I don't know if you're on like one great, of those sweetheart. people that maybe brand saw but just this idea that there's other people who've been tapped who haven't yes. succeeded or been successful and whether or not those people have gone to the links that someone like yarn has to try to stay as close to it as possible or kind of what still lingers i think it's all very interesting in the way that that all kind of connects and how everything is being manipulated by this power that this you don't even really understand until mm-hmm. you get to the end of a dance of dragons <laughs> right I agree. Was there gray mist in the scene where Bran felt pushed from the tower? Um, in his dream, right afterward, there is. God, could you imagine if there was gray mist around Cersei and Jamie? Yeah. And he was compelled to push Bran instead of doing it on his own. I knew Jamie was good. Oh my God, he is not on a redemption arc yet. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't even admitted his wrongs yet, Zach. Uh, I'm working on it. <laughs> I knew. I, I know you're working on it for him, but I think George so has to work on it, not you. You're right. You're right. It's not going to happen. Not yet. <laughs> so what now? What's he going to do? With all this power, if it's him or if it's just, I mean, how do you, much autonomy do you think Brendan has in all of this, Brendan being Blood Raven? I think that he knows he's at the end. I, I honestly think that's one thing I think Can he not the see show kind of gleaned to us. Oh, I think he knows he is, though, because he tells Brand, you're the last green seer, like you're mm-hmm. the only right. hope. So, I mean, they've been searching for the one. This is Euron the end of wasn't the cycle. Do it. Yeah, I mean. They've been searching, and Bran is the one. This Brandon Stark of Winterfell with this connection to the old gods. This kid, man, with Hodor and company, just He's a ragtag bunch one. of dudes. The last hero, dude. He's the last hero. That's so annoying. 
right? Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, and you're saying what what next, but I'm thinking like in terms of my life, like, well, what do we do now? (laughs) Like, (laughs) as you sit here and think about this a lot, it's like, well, then what next? Yeah. What do we do after we know what we're supposed to be thinking about? Brand's going to wrestle with the morality of what they're up to, right? I think that's what's going to make him leave the tree. I think he will realize what's going on. Like, I think probably something similar to show with how the cave got, you know, interrupted by whites finally, like, can break through. Um, Blood Raven knows he's on the way out. I'm sure just like Jojen, he knows when he's going to die. Mm-hmm. He can see right. everything. And I think Bran's going to see what's really going on and see, like, oh, they're blood sacrificing people for this power. And, like, they want me to help kill the others, but they don't want it for the reasons, like, of saving the kingdom. They want it for saving their kind and their power. And I think that's going to be really important for why he returns home to his family, at least mm-hmm. at some point. Do you think that him finding out about Jojen would maybe be a catalyst for that? I think he might be, um, much like like how Sansa is just waiting to find out the right information about Ned and Jane and etc. before she flips on Littlefinger. I think Bran is the same thing. I think he's waiting to find out how his friend died and what their motives truly are. Because, I mean, we really don't know their motives, but there's a sinister, like an overarching sinister ambiance to this chapter. Like, especially yeah. whenever the children talk, like it's a little sinister. Oh, yeah. Do you think it's a byproduct of the nature of the surroundings? And maybe that's kind of a red herring and that this maybe they're just as neutral as everyone else. And like you said, they're just so. trying to save their kind. I don't think so, because I mean... Yes, I guess in the end, yeah, it's another gray morality thing because then you look at it self-preservation and isn't every race just trying to do that? But to what right. point where you wage wars to kill them out? And well, maybe that's what happens like uh, the way it was adapted in the TV show where maybe like Leaf, maybe that was a miniature version of the children. Let's say they, they get ran over and that that Blood Raven has to face the Night King or whatever amalgamation yeah uh, it, it actually is and the children have to maybe collectively make a decision to go well we'll let brandon stark run and we'll help him survive and maybe he'll save those people because it looks like if we don't do it everyone's done and yeah. maybe that's like poetically the old finally giving away with a long death rattle to the new that might honestly and hey that's a huge blood sacrifice yeah. so yeah <laughs> and then all the grumpkins and snarks come up down from the caverns to help as well and they're like we'll help too they're all cheering and, and old yeah. Anne comes back from the grave and she's like told you guys <laughs> then she's like in the grave and she's like still secretly banging dunk so going back to the grave bye in the afterlife and Hodor holds the door ah uh, get out uh. You're fired. All right. Again, this is the second time in the podcast I've fired you. You've had to fire him. It's It's been a rough go. It's been a rough go. <laughs> I'm still employed. That's what I'm saying. Well, this was fun. I feel like we could do this for another three or four hours. Yeah, like 80. This is fun. And for everybody, I just can't emphasize enough. Everybody listening at home, go just fall down the rabbit hole of all of these theories because there's so um, much. There's so much. And I feel like I know we say this about every chapter, but we didn't even dive into like his last visions and what all those things may or may not mean or all this stuff. I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot. And so we have a lot of time. Talk about it amongst your friends. Yeah. There's a lot to discover. And as you've noticed, like 
new it's just we're so in the middle of everything these long form conversations we're having with each other if we all care about it this much we can kind of just sort of come up with new ideas together and who knows until the new book comes out and tells us that we're wrong it's we all can fair game have fun with it yeah it's just, there it's all are fair so game. many theories too every day more people are writing new theories and new ways to analyze this text and i find that so interesting these books keep giving even in this long night so right. to speak uh, in the long, cold night we're in right now, this drought until we get the next book. And people can, some people complain, you know, they get a little, oh, like, we're running out of things to talk about. But I honestly, I see new theories every week from people in the fandom that I find interesting. Right. New good so, theories. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Well, should we just, I don't know how we go back to the kind of the canals chapter after that. After um, that. Yeah. But uh, should we give our, our favorite moments? Cat of the Canal chapter owned to the courtesans and to their barge culture and to yeah. Bravos just seems like a really cool place. If you've got your wits about you and you can handle your shit, it looks like you could have a pretty fun time in Bravos. You should cosplay one of those. As a Bravo. With their crazy <laughs> outfit. Uh-huh. Yeah, that would be really fun. You'd talk oh, like Zero Pharrell the whole time. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um, own to Arya because when dudes harass her, like sexually harass her and just harass her, she flips them off and calls him a camel's cunt. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> takes it in stride. And she's just this little like man child. She's awesome. <laughs> she has that finger knife. Pickpocketing people. <laughs> just doing her thing. Spinning it before they can notice it was gone. Love it. Yeah. Um, My own is going to be how she would have cats that would always follow her around and it says someday she would have a dozen trailing her before the sun went down so just imagine Hannah's her like, Hit me i know <laughs> first of all, I, love, I love cats thank you i can relate second of all yeah that's my dream life but third of all it's just such a funny picture to have her walking around these streets doing all these crazy things and having all these crazy conversations while also having a ton of cats just following so her cool. around <laughs> so and for the final brand chapter are we're giving owens for the final oh, yeah. i just no way to set it up it's kind of a bummer but we've reached this hill i have like 80 owns for this chapter oh good go for it first off own to the abyss because it is black as pitch and swallowing things good for it mm. that's dark thanks yeah i want to give my own to brand when he wargs into the raven and first of all we didn't talk about this conversation of young or old, these birds have all been ridden and kind of feeling the presence of somebody else inside. Um, I thought was interesting and wild, but the, my own specifically goes to Bran's first flight when he is learning to fly as a Raven for the first time. And it says his first flight ended when he crashed into a wall and ended back inside his own broken body. And <laughs> it's kind Dang. of sad, but it's just kind it's of like a funny, video game, right. To imagine him trying his hardest and then sl- immediately slamming into a wall. And it just was kind of, with like feathers flying everywhere and, and a whole kind of thing. So Owen to Brand just trying his best. Aw, same. <laughs> Owen to the children of the forest for using Jojen when I feel like they could have just used, and quote, under the hill, they still had food to eat. A hundred kinds of mushrooms grew down here. Yeah. I feel like maybe there's a nod on George R. R. Martin's behalf and it was kind of awesome. <laughs> so just owns. That's hilarious. Uh, you have to wonder, like George, George, what were we you doing it. when you wrote this chapter? I think we all get it, but... Yeah, the the, the parallels are, are hilarious. And oh, then yeah? he goes on to say, blind white fish swam in the Black River. But they tasted just as good as fish with eyes when she cooked them up. <laughs> we can do another Chloe own. Yeah, my favorite Please. own. 
uh, is probably, let's just take a moment to give the biggest of owns to Mira Goddang Reed for taking care of these two dang man-children and Hodor across the frozen tundra, Yay. watching her tears freeze in front of her, dealing with creepy-ass wood sprites and chilling while her brother dies. That is not how I want to spend my sweet 16, is what <laughs> I'm saying. So no. own to Mira Reed for being Mira Owned Reed. Own to Mira Reed. Ashara Dane's daughter. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what? Those are our owns, and now it's time to read yours. Masterful. Our first own, Jill Kate, with a crown emoji, unicorn emoji, and sword emoji in their username. Own to Targanaro for defending Cat's honor with a smack of a codfish on Quill's face. Fish and cat emoji. Yes. <laughs> yes, we're reading off the emojis, Eliana. Why not? <laughs> Next, we have Darren Soward's very stable genius on Twitter who says, Own to brand for being able to dissociate across bodies and time. Hashtag jealous AF. Darren wants to warg it to Hodor. That's fine. And then next, I get it. own to Darian for being Arya's subject in her he had it come and skit. Hashtag he ran into my needle. Hashtag nine times. So good. And then... Own to Leona Stark for retroactively reminding everyone who run the world. Jerry and Lois uh, at U-N-L-A-O-I-S-E-D. Bran owned to Jojen for teaching Bran the value of reading. A reader lives a thousand lives before he dies, said Jojen. The man who never reads lives only one. It's all very well for Bran watching videos on YouTube, Y-E-W, <laughs> tube, but nothing good. beats a good book. Hashtag see what I did there, question yeah. mark, smiley face emoji. Reading rocks <laughs> is my favorite. Absolutely. Arya owned to him of many faces. All men must bow to him in the end, no matter if they worship the Seven or the Lord of Light, the Moon Mother or the Drowned God or the Great Shepherd. All mankind belongs to him. Hashtag literally owns everybody. From Rune Fjar on Twitter. Brand owned to summer for casually eating undead snow bears for supper. Mm. And the Canal Cat own. It sounds cooler that way almost. Canal Cat. It's a punk rock band owned to the sheer number of subtle clues and interconnections. George, you crafty bastard. <laughs> With tinfoil hat on, I predict that after Mission Winterfell, Mr. Mance will put on a dead man's good boots and sing his way into the Sea Lord's Palace to steal a lemon. Uh, oh. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Whoa. Glamours. Don't forget about the finger bones. Gray mist. Next, we have at Nefesta underscore W on Twitter who says, My own to Arya for sticking to her roots and keeping to the old way. For Darian, she passed the sentence and swung the sword. Hashtag Ned's girl. And for Bran's chapter, my own goes to Old Nan because all of her stories are coming true. Old Nan remembers. Hashtag the North remembers. Yes. Uh, our next two come from Heathen King. Heathen underscore King on Twitter. Uh, brand three owned to just a gorgeous, wonderfully written chapter full of wonder, horror, and sadness. Everyone resigned to their fate except maybe Mira, who keeps hope alive. The old gods demand blood and bones become branches. Oh, that was good. That was real beautiful. Another from Heathen King. For Cat of the Canals, Arya owned Darren, who truly earned his execution as a deserter of the Night's Watch. That guy was a chud. <laughs> True. Um, real Kofefi. At Clint wrote this, own to all the questions I have after reading Brand 3. Talking ravens in the good old days. Jojen paste is a vomit face emoji. Enthroned children of the forest. Blood raven, question mark, exclamation point. <laughs> trees they don't forget, shocked face. Seeing beyond trees, question mark. And finally, I think this is a head scratcher for all of us. Time travel, Ned, Liana, a vengeful mother, Dunk. 
blood sacrifices. JS KD KS question question. Yeah. Yeah. We have all been there. Same. <laughs> That's a Clint. good summary. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, we have at Beauty Brienne who says the fact that Arya and Bran are thousands of miles from home and still get tailored educational sessions gets my own. And then she had a really great gif of the more you know with the star. Beautiful. So those are our owns. Those are your owns. And if you want to send in your owns for these chapters, your theories, your thoughts, or if you want to send in your owns for whatever else, um, you can find us on Twitter at Game of Owns or on Facebook by searching for Game of Owns. Or you can send us an email to contact at gameofbones.com. Next up, we have Tyrion 8 and Jamie 5. So no pressure. <laughs> Just the Lannister the boys back continues. at it again. And I think you should all feel free to engage Chloe on Twitter because this is the, this is like, this is where she reigns supreme. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> everything you've heard today, if you have any questions, I'm going to just speak for Chloe right now and say, go ahead and tweet at her with your thoughts about the Grave Mist, because I think we all need answers and we don't have enough time or bandwidth to get it out, I think, in the best way on this podcast. And you guys probably have so many better questions after being able to listen to this or, or something. So Chloe, can yeah. you give us your all your handles again absolutely um thanks so much you guys this was so fun to be on you can definitely find me online you can find me uh at drunk asoiaf on twitter it's drunk asoiaf history on youtube and podbean will be on itunes soon um we've been doing a drunken egg series and zach actually said he would be joining me (laughs) on the mystery night yes drunken (laughs) egg it's where we drink and uh go through the whole book it's really fun um I'm writing on Tumblr at liesandarbor.tumblr.com. Uh, I'm working on an Ashara Dane series currently uh, in particular. And you can also tweet at me at liesandarbor. Um, and Eliana, who was on last episode, Melisandra episode, uh, and I are starting a project soon together. And we're going to be announcing that soon. So this is a I'm little so unofficial excited. announcement. So cool. Yeah. That's so exciting. Everyone's coming together and making really fun stuff. Absolutely. It's going to be a really good 2018 content year, I feel like. And you're doing a lot of work for the convention in Ohio this summer. or Not not this summer. This spring. It's, it's soon. It's soon. Yeah. Um, I, uh, Ice of Firecon this spring. I'm so excited. I know you guys are coming or hanging out hopefully uh a on lot stick of horses are. and pool noodles yeah, stick horses and pool noodles um <laughs> i uh i'm marketing director for ice and FireCon. we're in ohio this year out of deer creek it's beautiful it's a smaller event intimate but it's a really fun event for book and show fans alike we have a lot of cool events we have wolves this year you guys oh we gosh have wolves coming so yeah oh, we have an wait. actual wolf is there gonna be a dog park for the dogs and the wolves that would be fun i don't think that's that how would it works. be a bad idea <laughs> really excited for that that's gonna be a blast yeah it's gonna be so much fun i can't wait to see you i know it's gonna be so fun everyone's gonna be together <laughs> it's been so long everyone's gonna be together the whole gang there's so many uh history of westeros uh emmett booth poor quentin uh, uh, no big deal butterfly <laughs> A bunch of people that are fun are coming. So the whole fandom gets together. It's like a backyard barbecue and medieval summer camp for everyone, you know? What kind of tricks do you have up your sleeve? Like, for example, like when is the episode with Ashea going to air? Oh, um, well, I'm getting some new technology upgrades in the next couple weeks. So I've kind of been putting it off. But I think that the Drunk A Song of Ice and Fire history episode uh, we recorded this summer, we recorded... A little teaser for you. We recorded Nymeria's Landing. Uh, right. Shea and I did. And I think that's going to come out in the next month or two. Um, I'm hoping to put it out by Ice and Firecon, depending on 
what the situation is in my technology, but I have it almost finished. So tweet at Chloe and tell her to hurry. Words of encouragement. <laughs> oh, that's gonna help. <laughs> <laughs> that's always it always works in this fandom. Four more years, not putting it out. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was such a treat. Anna and I were really excited slash intimidated and yeah, you made it so good. easy for us. Thank you so oh much. Yeah, thank you for so having thank you. me. Of course. We hope we can have you again soon. Yes, I had a blast. Gray mist. Gray mist. <laughs> Look it up. Bye. Bye everybody. Bye. <laughs>